0: Welcome to Courageous Help by BASE, where we believe in the power of assistance to change the world. I'm Natalie Turner of BASE, formerly an executive assistant, now designing learning and development exclusively for EAs to leverage skills and maximize impact. On Courageous Help, we sit down with current and former assistants who are challenging the status quo from impacting global business practices to molding new career paths and beyond, all while managing their full plate as an assistant. Join us while we explore how today's assistants can leverage their position to drive positive change. Today on Courageous Help, I am very excited to be chatting with Melissa Peoples. Melissa is the founder of Admin Gurus, a company dedicated to equipping, empowering, and enabling administrative professionals to take their seat at the table. Melissa is very passionate about this profession and is dedicated to partnering with other thought leaders in the industry and helping lead the revolution of change within the administrative function. Melissa partners with other thought leaders in the industry to raise awareness of the true function and value of the administrative profession. She also has a top-rated YouTube channel dedicated to administrative professionals looking for consumable technical training, and she speaks at conferences and events for administrative professionals and provides one-on-one productivity training for executive assistants around the globe. So just a few things that she's up to, but to start us off, I would love it, Melissa, if you could share a bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an assistant all the way to where you are now with Admin Gurus, whatever feels relevant in there. I would love to hear about it. I love that. Thank you so much for
1: inviting me. I'm so excited that we get the opportunity to sit down and chat today. So hello, everyone. My name is Melissa Peoples, as Natalie said. I'm the CEO and founder of Admin Gurus and In People's Consulting. And really, I've been in the industry just like you for the last 25 years. Started off way back the day as a receptionist and worked my way up into the C-suite. Eventually, I found myself realizing that there was a huge gap in training and education for administrative professionals. And I just decided that I was going to take the leap and try to be the solution that I couldn't find for myself. So I jumped out and I started doing that in 2015. And I have been coaching and training assistants all over the world since then. That actually led me to become the executive operations advisor to the CEO of the New York Times. And that's actually one of the things that I currently do is I partner with executives and their assistants to help them learn how to level up that partnership, really maximize their executives working style. So yep, that's what I've been doing since 2015. And I
0: absolutely love it. I love the piece around you're working with executives and their assistants together because I feel like so much of this industry is amazing and and the the thought leadership here is wonderful. But so much of it is just geared toward okay, one side of this partnership, and yeah. it really does require both sides. Can you would you mind to speak to just for a second what you've found kind of the differences? Because I know you do both types of coaching.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting for me. I think my absolute favorite way to do coaching is two on one. Mm -hmm. But of course, that's going to be dependent on whether or not those executive business partners are willing, or sometimes they don't see the value and which is why I'm always there sort of waving the flag. I think it's a really critical piece because our roles are so incredibly unique. They're unique to the industry that we're in, our executive business partners, who we are. If we have niched down what we really like in our roles and um, what makes us feel empowered. So we're, it's such a unique space. And I think that's sort of been a missing piece is understanding your executive business partners working style and their decision making style and, you know, what we'll kind of Meetings? Do they like? Are they a formal? Are they like formal meetings or informal? And all of those little pieces can go into driving like really strategic executive operations. So when I have the opportunity to sit down with an executive, I can ask some questions that you may not <laughs> be able to ask them as their EA. I can kind of get down into the nitty gritty and kind of ask the question. Um, one time, I asked this executive just he would not meet with his EA. He just absolutely refused, and I just. I think she was really struggling having the, um, the right words to say to him as to like, why, why, you know, she sort of tried everything and I just flat out asked him. And I think for him, it was a moment of going, somebody who's not my EA is telling me that this is valuable. Please help me understand why. And I think for him, he had no idea what he should be meeting with her about. So he was just avoiding it altogether. Um, And so I love those opportunities to really be able to talk about the things that are really challenging for other people or that you might not be able to um, as an EA and then really get to focus in on all all the fun stuff. Then we get to walk away and work on all of that stuff as an EA and how you're progressing and how you can maximize that working style and all of that, and then just continue to help you level up. And for me, that's the most exciting and fun thing to do.
0: Yeah, it really is such an important piece because, you know as assistants, you can be employing all the strategies and doing all the things. But like you said, this is such a unique and individual relationship. And the strategy really comes down to how do you and this person work together specifically. So having that, the other side of the equation, gosh, I can't, I can't imagine how invaluable that would be. So I love it. it.
1: It's definitely one of those things that I recognized in my career when I was sitting full-time in the corporate seat. I, I, I've, so I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about this or not, but I believe that there are generally two types. There are activators and strategists. I mean, that's like very broken down, right? And so I found, so I'm a strategist and I always like to ask assistance this. This is always an easy way. Okay. I'm going to ask you this, Natalie. Yeah. If you had to every day for the whole rest of your life, you had to either do expense reports or you had to do uh, like meeting agendas. What would you choose? Agendas. Okay. So me too. For those of you that pick expense reports, it might be weird. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, who would have that?" <laughs> <But> <laughs> so for me, what, what was interesting about it is that I am a strategist and I, and I look at things very big picture. And it took me a long time as an assistant to realize that that was even acceptable thing for me, that mm-hmm. I had my own way of working and I didn't ha- always have to lean into somebody else's way of working. And so I was really kind of figuring this out, but I was partnered with like a high activator and it became a real challenge because we came at it completely differently. And I started to realize that the way that executives approach their work and the way that assistants, because, you know, we're always talking about fit. We're always talking about, oh, what's the right fit? Um, But how many times when you are looking for that right fit, are you thinking about working style, um, their decision-making style, just all of those little pieces and then how, do you complement one another? Do you cover each other gaps? Like there's so much that goes into it. And I think it's a really exciting area for executives or uh, assistants to niche down in to really understand how do you, if you're a strategist, how do you partner with an activator effectively and vice versa? If you're an activator and you're partnered with a strategist, how do you, how do you kind of close those gaps? And what if you are both the same? So to me, that's a really fun thing for us to think about because then that really does level up and elevate your skills to an area that most assistants really never get the
0: chance to think about. Mm -hmm. I want to dive into all the things that you're saying so much more, but I I want to make sure that I I get to actually ask you our big question of the podcast. And I know we'll we'll go places from, from here and there, but I wanted to ask you, how do you think assistants are changing the world? Oh, wow. I love that question. You know, I think that assistants are really...
1: Since COVID, we've seen this massive shift in what assistants have been doing. And I think that assistants now are finally getting to the point where they are have this... I like to say it's a collective... Our collective voice is being heard. So we're finally getting really comfortable to find our voice and to really raise our hand and say, listen... For us to have an effective organization, these are some gaps that I specifically own. I can change the world if you allow me to do these things. And I think up until COVID, we really struggled with understanding what our place was and how we could really be the most impactful. And I really feel strongly that assistants now are finding their voice and going, listen, if you let me... I can go change your world. I can change our organization. I can change the way that we function. And that, to me, is revolutionizing an industry, which for me is really exciting um, because we're seeing this happening over and over. And our collective voices are being heard loud and clear, I think. Um, I would specifically say in the last five years, we have been... Um, empowered in a completely different way. And I think that the more that we're speaking up, the more that we are pulling up the administrative professionals that are coming up behind us to help them like immediately level up in their role, which I think is an exciting thing.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're talking about this like collective voice and I kind of want to get Kind of both sides of this, so yeah. one, I want to ask, like, do you think Eas can be powerful just as individuals, or is it like we're definitely more powerful as a group in community?
1: Yeah, I think both, right? I think that you have to be powerful. like you have to find your own voice. you have to I always like to say you have to break the confidence code, you have to find out how you can stand up and voice your opinion even if you're in an environment that doesn't necessarily promote that or you feel comfortable around it. I do think that collectively, it is really important that we work together. We are an industry that is 98% female dominated. And we have historically been women supporting men. And it is a real challenge for us for, you know, I know of an assistant recently. I mean, the stories that I have are just endless. And I think that the challenge can be is that if you are in a role where maybe you do feel empowered and you have a strong voice, you forget that there are millions of administrative professionals and women across the globe who are not experiencing what you're experiencing. They are experiencing a completely different, very like madman-esque mindset. Um, I know an assistant who is a very high-level EA and was literally put on her performance review that she did not bring her executive business partner a tea with. I'm a like, smile I already know what you're going <laughs> to on his, on her face, a smile. It was literally on her professional development plan. So I think that. It is, yes, it's really important for you individually to find your voice, but I also think it's really important that we collectively band together and, you know, rise up and say, listen, this is not acceptable or these behaviors are not okay. Let me help educate you on what I do, whatever that looks like, that you can empower the people that are around you. And I, I really do think that sometimes, if you are partnered with a really wonderful executive, then sometimes you have you forget, or maybe yes. you never had that experience of what. Um, but I hear it all the time. Last week, I think I had seven DMs from just people that I'm connect with going like, I don't know how to approach this. One person was told from their. Um, chief people officer that monkeys could do admin jobs. I mean, it is insanity. Uh, And it makes you so grateful for the wonderful executives that you may be partnered with. But also really, you know, my heart goes out to those that are really dealing with this still. And I think it's important that we collectively say, you know, we're rising up together. And I'm going to empower you to say what needs to be said. I'm going to support you, whatever you need, I'm going to be here for you. And I think that's really important for us.
0: Yeah. So a few things I want to hit on from what you just said. The first thing is you're talking about, you know, finding and using our voice. And you were mentioning how it's one thing to come to your organization or your leader and say, you know, like, hey, I see these gaps. I see these gaps. And then it's another thing to be like, and here's how I could fill them if you would let me or here's how I can like. And I think that's the confidence piece that you were speaking to. It's not just a, Hey, I have something to say, but like, Hey, I have something to say and something to do about it and something to show you and like something to teach you here. So I'm curious, you you mentioned like part of it is breaking the, I, I don't know if you said confidence barrier, confidence Code, yeah. yeah. Could you share about like how newer eas could start to build that confidence? Like obviously, you mentioned having other eas around them to kind of pull them up and build them up. But yeah, how would you recommend someone start? with that? I think the first thing is for me, it's about self, self-awareness. Like
1: how aware are you about how you're showing up? Do you feel... So I always ask people this question. And if you follow me, you probably heard me say this, but I always say, so if you go into a meeting and it's a packed room and your executive business partner is not in the meeting and there are two seats left, there is one at the table next to the CEO and there's one in the back of the room, where do you sit? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of assistants, they automatically go, oh, like back of the room. Right. But if that's your answer, that to me is a is a red flag that that's actually, you, you are bringing bias to the role yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you can't feel confident enough to sit next to the CEO, like you're not seeing yourself as equals, right? You're not seeing as I'm a colleague. I see myself subordinate some here, some, yeah. somewhere down here. And so I think it's one that's about self-awareness. It's to recognize, am I... Treating myself like I don't deserve to be in the seat, or that I, you know, don't have anything valuable to say. Valuable to say, why would they ask me, or why would they want my opinion? So I think one, you have to recognize that, and then I think you always just look for opportunities that are fully in your wheelhouse where you can give an opinion, and you can drive best practices. All of those are opportunities for you to get comfortable finding your voice. I was sitting in a conference with Dr. Irene Petrick. She's from Intel, and she gave this wonderful analogy. It was a woman's conference. And she said, when you finally do get a seat at the table, make sure you actually have something to say. Yeah. And what she was talking about was that she was, as an engineer, she was in a industry that was very male-dominated and she'd get into the room and they would just assume she was taking the notes or she they would just assume that she was you know, around just to assist them rather than being a colleague with them. And so she was really encouraging women to find something where they're an expert in their field. And I think that's sort of that that next piece is when you can really become confident, it's because you know that you know that you know that you know. Somebody can't convince you otherwise because so, you know, I am a huge Microsoft geek. So if you ask me a question about Microsoft, I 100%, you couldn't throw me off of it, right? Because I know I know it. And I think the more that you can become confident in your role and the, you know, just lean into the expertise that we all have, and you start finding opportunities to raise your hand and give advice and give suggestions, it will build confidence. The other challenge, I think, is that, you know, we're not always in fluffy environments where it's easy (laughs) to build your confidence. So if you can't find it in the organization that you're in, Look for other opportunities to help build yourself up and connect with other people who will help you build that confidence so that you can start finding the courage to stand up and raise your voice a little bit louder than you did you know, last month or
0: last year. Yeah. Another thing that you mentioned that I feel like is a part of this, like even in the story you shared with, you, know, you had this highly capable EA who on her performance review was told like, something about her smiling or not when she's bringing tea. And another piece of what you said earlier was just traditionally, this has been a role where women are supporting men and you were talking about, you know, choosing, choosing your seat. And do you treat yourself as subordinate? And I'm just, I I feel like there's a thread here and I'm curious if you would be willing to pull on it with me, like, especially like women supporting men piece. Like, yeah. I would just love to hear your thoughts. Yeah,
1: I think it's a, it's very, it's very interesting because, you know, I am like a third generation administrative professional. And I was recently in a car with my mother and we were on a road trip and a a client of mine who had become a friend and we were just sort of chatting um, and we get off the phone and my mom goes, how are you guys? I dealt with this in 1967. How are you guys still dealing with this in 2023? Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something that we have to be really aware of. It's very interesting because a lot of really high performing, really powerful men. So they tend to have certain personalities, and there are some really wonderful leaders out there. And then, as many of us have experienced, there's not so many wonderful leaders out there. And it can be challenging for us because we've always been told we're the ones who are supposed to make everybody happy. We're always supposed to be smiling. You know, I don't know about you, but I have been the person earlier in my career where, let's just say, I wasn't having the best day, and it was like, oh, Melissa, you don't seem very happy. It's like the job is that I'm supposed to be happy, and I have. Have to have the smile on my face. And this is something that I think we have to address, especially when you have, if you have a hard time finding your voice, you have a hard time speaking up for yourselves. What does that actually look like when you do set a boundary? Or can you even feel comfortable to set a boundary? People often say to me like, oh, Melissa, you're so confident or you can say anything that is not, I mean, that's something that I've had to work towards. I'm not a confrontational person. But for me, when I was in corporate America, I really had to learn how to set the boundary when people were speaking to me disrespectfully or when I felt really that this is just not an acceptable thing. And I really kind of struggled with how do I say that? And, you know, do I put my job in jeopardy? What if I what if they don't like it? And, you know, just all of the things that you think through. But yeah. for me, I eventually I it was actually funny. So <laughs> I role played all the time. I did it in the mirror. I did it with my husband, with anybody I had this one executive business partner who just popped off all of the time. And I just really struggled on how to set a boundary because it felt like it became this constant thing where he was doing this to me all of the time, like mm-hmm. treating me, you know, just kind of like his work wife, which don't even get me started we'll <laughs> Talk about it in a second. We can talk about it. Um, but he was just popping off all of the time and I would come home and I was just very upset. And my husband was like, you have to set a boundary. And I, Went through all of the thoughts that we all go through, like, well, what will happen if I and I don't know if I can and all of that. So the thing for me is I realized that to be able to say what I needed to say, I needed it to be incredibly natural. I, I didn't want to walk away going, oh, I should have said this. I wanted it to be in the moment. And so I practiced and practiced until finally he did pop off. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, it looks like you're having a moment. So I'm going to just walk away and let you collect your thoughts. And when you're ready to speak with, with me in a respectful tone, I'm happy to continue this conversation. But for now, I'm going to walk away. And then I thought I was going to throw off. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that. Um, but he never spoke that way to me again. And I think that sometimes as women, we are sort of taught, right? Like, oh, don't rock the boat. Like, oh, if a man, I was actually told this, speaking of so it doesn't actually go away. I was just actually told by a CEO that I have too strong of a personality for their mm-hmm. culture, and I just thought this is why I, this is why I'm still speaking about it is because men don't say that to men. Men, a man would never go to another man and go like, "Oh, your personality is too strong for us." Yeah, they you're a little too to much. Us. No, <laughs> they would. They'd be like, "Oh, he's a direct communicator," but we think that this is okay. In our profession, because that's what we've always been. We've been the person who brought the coffee or we bring the catering or we we do the thing, which is fine. I'm, I'm happy to partner. But if that's all you see me as, then it becomes a problem or... You know, and I always tell assistants wherever I go, raise your hand if you like being the office mom. And in general, out of the hundreds of women and, you know, men that I've asked this question, two people have ever raised their hand as, yes, I like being the office mom. But then we have to look at ourselves and go, but am I encouraging that kind of behavior? Am I being the person who, you know, we get that dopamine hit because people will say to us like, oh, you responded so quickly. Thank you so much. Or they'll go, um... Like oh thank you so much for bringing my food and then we get the food and not, rather than just ordering the food then we start taking it out of the bag and like delivering it
0: to them presenting it yeah
1: <laughs> let me open it for you I know another assistant who was told literally inside of a meeting their executive the CEO handed over the salad and the dressing and said can you open this for, open up my dressing for me and put it on my salad so I can keep talking and I'm just going like and this is you know twenty. 23. So I do think that it can be very challenging for us to break that mindset and to break the cycle. Ebony Bellhumer, I don't know if you guys follow her, but she's on the assistance list. I love her, adore her. Um, But we were chatting one day, we were talking about this topic and about how a lot of these roles that we have had have historically, you know, back in the 40s, this is what a secretary did we brought the food, we did the catering, we did all of the things so that the men don't have to worry about it. And I think that we have to change our mindset to go like, we're not here. We are absolute equals. We're colleagues. I'm I'm happy to partner with you. But if in at any moment, this sort of very mad men-esque mindset, I'm going to have to set a boundary and I'm going to have to figure out how do I deal with that. And I think that that is huge for most administrative professionals. We really struggle with that.
0: Yeah, you really hit on this in, in two different terms. You mentioned, you mentioned work wife and you mentioned office mom. And I just think about, you know, these roles that are traditionally caretaking roles, like even though we wouldn't consider a wife, a caretaking role necessarily, but historically it it had been more of that. And yeah, just how like, yes, these are ways of looking at us that have been put on us, but then like we continue to perpetuate. So like, like you said, it has to be, It it's certainly not going to come from outside us. So like, we're going to have to be the ones yep. who, who set this, this new standard you, you said, and we don't have to go here if you don't want to, but you said, you're like, we could talk about work wife in a minute. Did you have something you wanted to say about that?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think it's a, uh- I think we just have to break the, the mindset molds that we put ourselves in that that's where our value lies, that our value lies when I'm the work wife or when I'm the office mom. Um, and we have to recognize that we are sometimes perpetuating that same behavior. And if we want to break it, we have to, that is going to come internally. No one else is going to look at us because, you know, it's like, you know, my kids are grown now, but when my kids were little, I am not going to be the, as the mom who kept going like, hey, you know, can you pick up your socks? And then five minutes later, oh, hey, can you pick up your socks? And oh, hey, you know what? You didn't pick up your socks. But when we're at work, we're like, hey, you didn't send that agenda. Like, oh, hey, you know what? You didn't send that agenda. Or like, hey, by the way, now their, their time that they were going to review the agenda and look at the pre-read is gone now and you didn't send it. Right. So we are perpetuating the same behavior versus if you hold a standard and you hold a a boundary to say, hey, listen, this is the expectation. I get it if something happened, right? Like whatever happened and you weren't able to meet it, but let's talk through how we can make sure that, you know, we can get this deliverable on time. And this is something that we struggle with, right? We just kind of go like, oh, well, that sucks that you didn't do what I needed you to do. And then we end up, Looking like we're not organized, or we didn't know what we're doing, or we didn't work hard enough to get it from that person, and no one is looking at them and going, "Oh, that's going on your performance review." Absolutely, it's going on yours. So I think we just have to really own our space and just kind of get out of that mindset that my value lies in strategic partnership it doesn't lie in babysitting people and continuing to sort of be the person that covers their you know you can't always cover everybody when they're messing up you can for a, a certain amount of time i guess if you choose to as long as you're having conversations to get them on the other side of that but You know, we have to sometimes, I know this is going to sound harsh, but sometimes we have to let other people fail because whenever we're covering them, we're putting ourselves in a really challenging position to continue that, right? And if we're not able to have a conversation that says, hey, listen, like, how do we work together to make sure that doesn't happen? Or how do we work together to make sure that there's a better outcome? That's one thing. But if we just continue to like always cover because they're not doing their job or they're not delivering because they don't think that they should, because who cares if Melissa asks, that's a that's a whole different mindset that I think that we have to be really purposeful about changing ourselves.
0: Yeah. I think about even like times in the past where if my if my exec would drop something and I were sort of answering for that. Like maybe even drafting an email or sending an email as them. And I would throw myself under the bus and be like, sorry, my assistant dropped that. And like, no one told me to do that, but it just, it felt like the thing to do (laughs) because like, I don't want them to look bad, but like, who cares if I look and it's like, wait a second. Again, nobody told me I had to do that. Like I, that she never, like nobody ever did that to me. So why would I do that to myself? It's, yeah, it, it definitely, the call is coming from inside the house. So yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. I kind of want to switch gears and circle back to something that you mentioned earlier about the kind of executive EA relationship and like the types of people who work well together. And I'm curious from your experience, is there like an an ideal relationship that you see, or is it really, it, it needs to be, just more of an ideal combination and less of like this, like this type and this type work best together? Or is it like a, there are sets that work really well together?
1: I think I think it really just depends on what an executive is looking for and what um, an EA wants to do. And I think that that's something that we generally miss is because people always say to me, so one of the things that I do is I'll go into organization and I'll help them find, you know, they've had 20 assistants and it's because they're hiring the wrong thing repeatedly. So what do you actually want when they meet with me it, you know, off the bat, they're like, oh, I want all of these things. But then when you get in there, they actually are willing to give up two of the 10, right? <laughs> they're like, I want them to do all of these things. That's very pie in the sky thinking. So I think it really comes down to what in is an ex- your executive business partner? What are they actually wanting you to do? What are the things that are the most top of mind for them? Do they want an actual strategic business partner, or are they at the point where they just want a high activator who's going to just do all of the things? And if that's the case, that's perfectly fine. Let's just find you an assistant who that's what they want. You know, it doesn't, let's not find you a strategic business partner. If you just want a high activator and they're going to support four executives, like that is failing at the jump. So for me, um, if you haven't, if you have a high activator who really values the doing and they don't value the thought work, they generally partner well with another activator because they value that piece. Or if they're an activator and they go, I recognize this is a huge gap and I need somebody who's looking 30, 60, 90 days out. I need somebody who's really strategic on the way that they approach their work. And I recognize that that's something that I don't have that I want. Then because they're valuing it, then I think that can be a really great partnership and it's vice versa right so if you have a strategist sometimes they recognize that they're not great doing the thing it's you need to have somebody who's going to be on it but also sometimes they like to partner with other strategists so they are thinking really big p- picture and not to say everybody is a little bit of both sure Know we all have little pieces to it, but I think our natural way of working, you know, like as a productivity coach, I'm constantly telling people, Look, what works for me as a strategist may not work for you, and that's okay. And there's not a one size fits all, you have to figure out for yourself, like, what are productivity habits that work for you? What are productivity habits that work for your executive business partner? You know, how many executives are you partnering with? What is your um, core beyond the foundational four? What are your core roles and responsibilities. So I think all of that really plays into finding what that partnership should look like. But I always try to say in a perfect world, when you are really crushing it, 80% of your time, well, 20% should be the foundational for 80% should be on driving the business. And that's going to look different for every executive. So you have to really dive in and like, what do they need? What are they actually looking for? And again, this is be very different when you start supporting three, four or five. You know, I, I know somebody who supports seven executives in the C-suite and it's absolutely insanity. <laughs> so it's just really diving deep to what do they actually need? And sometimes it's having the conversation of going like, let's just pretend that you know absolutely nothing about what I do. And I just want to hear from you, what would you be interested in shifting left? If you could take the three things off of your plate, what would those be? And sometimes it's not necessarily only just calendar stuff. It's like, hey, you know what? I feel like I go into meetings that I'm never prepared. Well, if that's the case, then you automatically know that intentional meeting culture is something that you can really focus on and drive. Maybe they just sit there and say, I'm really struggling with my with our employee engagement and culture. I really need you to And it, look if you have an assistant who loves doing events and employee culture, all of those things will play into those pieces um, but that's sort of the the hard part is you have to understand who you are, um, what drives you, what empowers you, what do you like? And then you can start looking for that right fit so that you can find an executive business partner that aligns. And then sometimes if you're partnered with somebody where you just, it's doesn't feel like a good fit. Sometimes it's those come to Jesus conversations that you have to have.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just for clarity for our listeners, can you, what are the foundational four? Can you share? Uh,
1: yeah, so calendar, inbox, travel, and expenses, right? So okay. these are the four things that we will always, probably, forever do. But it if you're doing it in a really effective way, that becomes a very minimal piece of your job, right? It's, especially when you're using automation and you're using AI and different tools to, um, you know, minimize that piece. And I would say because I always hear from assistants, right? Like the whole I I spend all my day calendaring, yeah. And, this is the big piece that I think that you have to make the shift in is that until you re- realize that it's your business to drive intentional meeting culture, you literally own the tool that is either making everybody's life insane, or it's making their life wonderful. You have to insert yourself into owning the calendar completely, not just playing calendar Tetris. And when we pay calendar Tetris, that's what happens, right? We're just constantly. So I think that the more that you can focus, I, and when I say calendar, I don't just mean like scheduling. I mean, actually strategic calendar planning, you know, planning out the whole year, reverse engineering those deliverables, getting in front of it. That's really strategic high level work. And of course you grow into that. Not all assistants start off doing that. That's something that as you're growing much more into that executive business partner or executive operations that's what that looks like but for me this is the really exciting piece because when you can minimize the foundational four then you can go what do i really like doing where do i feel really empowered what is going to really drive the business and then you start leading into that you build skill set that you know really at the end of the day is going to show up with more dollars the more that you can focus on executive operations is more money i mean it's it's definitely skill sets that I think are really important for all of us to be thinking about.
0: Yeah. I love that you spoke to, you know, those things should eventually become like a really minimal part of what you're doing. If you're using your tools correctly, if you're getting yourself set up in advance, I know that you have videos on your YouTube channel. I know that you talk about these things. So I will let you point people in those directions so they can get there. So they can get to the point where, you know, they can be focusing on being more strategic and, and executive operations and all of that. I just wanted to just quickly close the loop on this like ideal partnership and that kind of thing. I'm curious, is there anything that an EA can do or ask in an interview or like early in a partnership to better understand what the executive might actually want from them? Because like you mentioned, they might say they want these 10 things, but really they they don't or they want these two things over here.
1: Yeah, I think you have to interview them just as hard and heavy that they interview you. So I definitely like to talk to them about, you know, what are the things that they value most in, in a partnership? Where do they see the the highest value add? And really kind of... And then just stop talking, right? You want to get them talking about how they see the role. In addition, you really want them to, you know, kind of lean into... I always say, never ask. And I'm sure we, we've we heard this across the board, but you, I try to get assistance never to ask, how can I help? Yes. Um, because that is like a hard pass. And even as a CEO, as a business owner myself that question drives me crazy because I'm like, I don't freaking know, just like jump in, do something. <laughs> I take the load off. But if you ask me what's top of mind, I can very easily tell you like, okay, these are all of the things. So when I asked during interviews, when we asked that question, like, what is top of mind for you? If there's three things that you could shift left, what would that look like? Or, you know, how do you, have you seen the a partnership have a gap before? Have you ever had an assistant before? What did that actually look like? So really drilling them as much as they are drilling you because at the end of the day you're going to have to work with this person so closely that's important that you know what do they value and kind of ask them like what does your inbox look like how do you manage your inbox are you somebody who is constantly like here's the thing if if you're interviewing with someone and they're constantly on your phone and they're doing other things that's a key indicator that they are not a strategist right because if someone really can't focus in And they're just kind of like going all of the things, yeah, huh? Absolutely. Like those are things. If you're a strategist, that's going to drive you batty, and you should just probably not do that, (laughs) right? Like if you can't even pay attention to me long enough in this interview to like lean in, and I'm a strategist, this is probably not going to go well, unless you really are driving in and kind of saying like, hey, you know what? It sounds like you're a little bit of an activator. Let's talk about that. I'm a strategist. You know, do you see that kind of partnership working? Let's talk that through. And I think you just have to empower yourself to go as hard and heavy because at the end of the day, as we've said before, this stuff is going on your... per. Performance review and not theirs. So you yeah. have to be just as choosy and intentional about your next career move as they are. Well, with that,
0: <laughs> I will go ahead and start to close things up. Are there any threads we didn't get to pull on all the way, or just any last minute thoughts you want to share regarding our conversation? You know, I would just say that our industry has made such a massive shift. And
1: if you are looking towards continuing that momentum, I would just say build the community as much as you can surround yourself with people who are loudly screaming and and like going for the change and look for opportunities for you just to find your voice and whatever that looks like, whatever areas that you can show up as a leader, as an expert, you know, becoming more confident and showing up, you know, just in a completely different mindset than maybe how you have, like I said, A month ago or a year ago, and just working towards that mindset shift, I think that the more that you do that, the more empowered you become and the easier it is to show up and the easier it is to drive change, not just in your in your role, but also in your professional development, where do you want to go? How do you want to take your career to the next level? And
0: that to me is the exciting piece and the power that we all have as administrative professionals. Yes. Mic drop. Thank you. So my last question, just to wrap up is, do you have anything you would like to promote or a favorite resource you want to share with the audience? I know you have all the things, so feel free to share.
1: So let me tell you some of my favorite people to follow first. So Meg Steinshauer, she runs the Connected Assistance, Ebony Bellhumer, Deborah Coleman. These are all some of my favorite other EA advocates who are saying all of the same things and really kind of promoting real mindset shifts. So I love all of them. If you... I'm actually in the middle of doing my um, roadshow. So we basically travel to different cities and host a session where I get to talk about all the things that I can't necessarily do at a big conference. We get to be uh, spend all day together um, and really focus on real transformative change for administrative professionals. So I'm doing Dallas in August. If you go to my website, there's a list of all the places that I'm coming. You know, I'd love to see everybody on my YouTube channel and just say hi to me on
0: hashtag all places. Yay. Thank you, Melissa. I really appreciate everything you shared today. And it was really wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much, Natalie. I appreciate it. anytime I can get spicy. <laughs> love it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of courageous help brought to you by base. Learn more about how BASE is helping modern assistants maximize their potential at basehq.com or find us on LinkedIn at basehq or on Instagram at the BASE app. Don't forget to subscribe to Courageous Help wherever you get your podcasts.